live from the capital of the Commonwealth. This is the Sports Huddle with Bob Black on 1061 ESPN. We're also streaming live at ESPNRichmond.com and on the iHeartRadio app. Call in and talk with Bob anytime at 327-0888. Now, here's Bob Black with the Sports Huddle on 1061 ESPN. He swings and sends this one sky high to left. And the Crawford boxers are waiting, and that's where it lands! Oh boy, that was up there forever. And what would be a pop-out in most places travels 340 feet. Adolis Garcia has his second home run tonight and his 20th RBI of the postseason. 11-3 Texas. The call on ESPN Radio and 1061 ESPN last night as the Texas Rangers punched their ticket to the Fall Classic, to the World Series, looking for their first ever World Series championship. And look, Major League Baseball needs this. Major League Baseball needed what we are getting in the League Championship Series and maybe in the World Series. And look, I'm not crazy about it in one of the two league championship series, but I will admit it's what Major League Baseball needs. Hey, hello there. Welcome to the Sports Huddle. Bob Black with you here, reintroducing myself to you because it has been a while since we have gotten together. In fact, I just asked AJ, when's the last time I did a show? It was sometime last week, but I'm not even sure I can remember exactly when between major league baseball playoff games and travel with the richmond spiders and all of that it's been kind of hit or miss for the huddle here over the last week or so we expected that to happen and we knew that it was coming from a baseball perspective that won't happen anymore because as we get to the world series all of those games will be prime time so we'll be on day in and day out there'll be a few exceptions along the way for richmond spiders stuff But other than that, we should have a little bit more consistent get-together for us on the huddle from 4 to 6, Monday through Friday here on 1061 ESPN, ESPNRichmond.com. So anyway, Major League Baseball needed what it's getting here, two Game 7s in the League Championship Series. Now, look, the game last night was not a classic by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, it was just the opposite. It was a blowout, right? The Rangers blowing out the defending champion Astros. But even that's a gripping storyline for baseball fans and casual baseball fans to kind of grab onto. The 11-4 to wasn't all that great, obviously, that clinched Game 7 for the Rangers. But, hey, the visiting team won every game in that series. So you've got that to talk about as well. And you got a new villain, I think, unless you're a Texas Rangers fan. Adolis Garcia has certainly become a villain in Houston. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And maybe around Major League Baseball. I mean, he's got a flair about him, a cockiness about him, a bravado about him. That's probably good for baseball. And he'll become one of these guys that you hate him when he's not on your team, and especially when he's on your arch-rivals team, and you love him when he's on your team. And I'm sure those Texas Ranger fans are loving him right about now, and those Houston Astro fans are hating him with a passion. 
And Major League Baseball needs that. I think it's good for the game. And go back to Friday night when you had the bench-clearing brawl when they hit him after he kind of showed him up with the homer before that. And the bench is emptied in a postseason game. You don't get that too often. There have been some famous ones. Yankees and Red Sox have had one for sure. But you don't get that very often. And I think that was, like, really cool and really good for the game of baseball. And, look, I'm going to grit my teeth here and say it, but it's good in the National League as well. Now, I'm going to qualify the one in the National League here in a second. But I do think it's good for baseball that the National League series is going to a Game 7 tonight in Philly. Look, as a Philly fan, I'm not loving it. I can tell you that. Uh, I got a lot of heartburn going right now and rumbling in the stomach, and there's a lot of worry and a lot of concern and maybe even a little bit of panic amongst Philly fans today that they're actually not going to get this done and not get back to the World Series for the second consecutive year. As I was saying last week, I've been listening to a lot, and I mean a lot, of Philly sports talk radio. Thank goodness for the internet and apps and tune in and all of that that allows me to do that and put myself at home, even if it's just virtually back in the city of brotherly love. I would say there's still cautious optimism, but there's also some tempered panic, I think, and concern in Philadelphia as the Diamondbacks have come back to even this series at three apiece, and they made Citizens Bank Park look and feel and sound very normal last night. It wasn't the overriding home field advantage that the Phillies have been playing to for the last two postseasons, last season and this one. And there was even some criticism of the Philly fans this morning on Philly Sports Radio because a lot of fans got up and left in the ninth inning last night of a 5-1 to one game. And there were fans admonishing fans on Philly Sports Talk Radio for leaving that game early. And I get it, and I agree with them. I don't know why you would do that. That was not the Rangers and the Astros. That was not 11-4. to four. That was not 10 to nothing. That was a 5-1 to one game. That's a four-run inning that teams are very capable of pulling off. That's a one swing of the bat ties the game. That's why coaches and managers always talk about get at least a five-run lead, right, where one swing of the bat can't tie it or beat you, right? A grand slam still keeps you in the lead. So I was also disappointed with the Philly faithful that left last night. Hey, you know and look, what I say, Bob? Philly fans going to Philly. I don't like it when Philly fans are fickle because we're not most of the time. We really aren't. I when mean, things don't go your way, you are. No, they're really not. They get mad and they boo, but they still show up and they're still there. And look, I know what these playoff tickets cost. Believe me, I opened up my wallet for game one. I'm staying. I'm going to get my money's worth. I'm staying for the whole game. And that did not happen last night. So uh, the Philly fans need to show up just like the Philly players need to show up tonight. Look, credit to the Arizona Diamondbacks. They've been gutsy and gritty, and they've come back, and they have some really good players on that team. And I think this will be a fascinating Game 7 in Philly tonight. But, yeah, there's a, a little bit of pushing of the panic button right now in Philadelphia. And, look, I think it's good for Major League Baseball that we have another Game 7, but I also think it's good 
for Bob Black's emotions, but for Major League Baseball, that Philadelphia wins tonight. I still say they're the better story here than the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're the Cinderella. Don't get me wrong, but they only won 84 games during the regular season. They're going to have the Rookie of the Year in the National League, so they have star players uh, like Corbin Carroll. Cattell Marte has been amazing. 15-game postseason hitting streak. Uh, they have two stud starting pitchers and an outstanding closer in their bullpen. So they're not void of talent, and they're not void of star players. But I think Philadelphia is the better national story. The characters they have, the high-priced stars that they have, the Citizens Bank Park atmosphere that they have, the fact that they're the number four market in the country will certainly help TV ratings when they play the um, Texas Rangers, who are you know in the Dallas market. So that's a pretty good thing down there. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to sound like Matt Josephs, I think. Um, you get Arizona and Texas in the World Series, you're not going to have very good TV ratings for that, I'm afraid. It would spike up a little bit when you get Philadelphia and Texas in that thing. But the other one, good for them. And if that's what happens, that's great, and that's the fall classic, and there will be plenty of great storylines to go around. But I think for Major League Baseball, I think they're loving the fact that they're getting two game sevens. But I think deep down they would rather it be Philadelphia and Texas in the World Series than Arizona and Texas in the World Series where you basically cut off half the country because you won't have a team east of the Mississippi in the World Series. But it's been good for baseball to get to Game 7 in both the National and American League Championship Series. And let me say one other thing, and then we'll start to move on a little bit, and hope you'll join us on the show, 804-327-0888. I know particularly Matt, and I love listening to Matt before me, and we just have a different perspective and approach when it comes to baseball, and he was crying for better games and more drama, and it had all been ho-hum. If you go back to Friday night, Friday night will go down as one of the great nights for both championship series games to be played the astros and the rangers and the phillies and the diamondbacks and you had one game where jose altuve hits the go-ahead home run in the ninth inning for the astros that was the night that the benches cleared um and it finished 5-4 houston and they took all three games in Texas, and you thought they were going to come home to Houston and they were going to win it, and sure enough, they come back to Houston and Texas wins both games to win the series. That was a great game Friday night. And then as much as it pains me to go through, Phillies have a 5-2 lead in Arizona in game four, and the D-backs come all the way back. They get the pinch hit tying home run from Alec Thomas, and then they win it in walk-off fashion to win it 6-5, even the series at two games apiece. Those were two really good uh, championship series baseball games. So I think baseball felt really good about that Friday night, and I think the fact they've got two game sevens is also a good thing. Texas going to the World Series with a chance to win its first ever World Series, and then you get a game seven tonight, and the Phillies, believe it or not, in 144 years of existence, have never played a game seven. Philadelphia has never played a Game 7 in Major League Baseball. Now, they haven't been there a lot because they stunk for a long, long period of time. Trust me, most of my childhood, if not all of my childhood, the Phillies stunk. So they weren't in the postseason 
a lot. But they have been in more recent history, and they've never gotten to a Game 7. Arizona, on the other hand, played one of the classic Game 7s of all time when they beat the Yankees in 2001 um, to shock the baseball world and win the World Series. So that makes for great drama going into Game 7 tonight in Philadelphia. Uh, You've got Ranger Suarez on the mound for the Phillies. He's been cool as a cucumber um, throughout the season. And the Phillies certainly hoping for for more of that coming up uh, tonight in game number seven against the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are throwing a rookie pitcher who did not have a great regular season. And then he came back and had an unbelievable game against Philadelphia in game three that got the Diamondbacks back into this thing. Brandon fought. And by the way, that is how you pronounce it. P-F-A-A-D-T. Brandon fought on the mound tonight for Arizona. And, of course, we'll have it for you here on 1061 ESPN. So I'm excited. I am also very anxious. I will admit my stomach's in a little bit of knots right now. Can't wait for 8.07 and just get this game underway. Like I said, I was listening to Philly Sports Talk Radio. I think they came back from their break at like 1 o'clock this afternoon, and the guys were like, well, it's only seven hours until game time. And I'm like in the car. I'm going, seven hours? My goodness. Thank goodness we have these two hours together this afternoon. I'll help make the time go a little bit faster. All right, there you go. There's my take on Major League Baseball. you got one team headed to the World Series, and the Rangers will have the home field advantage either way. They've got the advantage over either Philadelphia or Arizona. So game one is Friday night in Texas, game two Saturday night in Texas, the day off Sunday, and then the National League gets games three, four, and five Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. That's getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's tell you what we got going on this Tuesday's edition of the Sports Huddle. Here's what's coming up on today's Sports Huddle. Just a huge fan of sports. This is the River City Rundown. River City Rundown brought to you by the Richmond chapter of the American Red Cross. Your help is needed for the Red Cross to continue to be on call for local or national emergencies. To learn how you can volunteer or donate blood, visit redcross.org. All right, coming up at 4.30, we're going to get into everything that ails the Washington Commanders. AJ, stop me if I've said that before. Everything that ails the Washington Commanders. Have you heard that before? I've never heard anyone ever say that in this state, ever. <laughs> wow. Uh, I mean, look, I, uh, wow. Oh, wait, I'm I sorry. Don't... I've never heard someone go a week without saying that. That's what I Yeah, mean. that's probably more like it. They lost to the lowly Giants. They made the Giants look pretty good. Now, I did not see that game, full disclosure. I was actually at the Lions-Ravens game in Baltimore <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. It's not like I was, like, rooting for the Lions. You know, my better half is a huge Lions fan. And your second and, better half isn't. And, and uh, you know, so I, I was fine with them. You know, now they're in the Eagles conference, so I was a little conflicted there. I wanted to be happy and have a good time and all. But at the end of the day, I'm an Eagles fan. But I felt bad for her and every other Lions fan. And there were a decent number of Lions fans at that game that was not a game or a contest almost from the opening kickoff. I don't know that I've ever seen a team, particularly in person, uh, be as outplayed as the Lions were Sunday. I know you're loving that, AJ. The Ravens, Lamar Jackson, and all those guys look great. I don't mean good, AJ. I mean they look great on Sunday. 
Oh, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. I I am still bullish on believing that's my team. The Ravens? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Still a little bullish. It should be. They looked... They looked really good. I, I got to tell you that. So anyway, so I was at that game. I uh, had a great time. That's the first time I've seen a game uh, at M&T Bank Stadium. I've been there for other events, but not for a football game. Really fun place to go watch a game. Of course, it's downtown near the Inner Harbor uh, where we parked. We walked right through Utah Street and Camden Yards and, you know, all of that. Uh, so it was, place, it was great. Right? Yeah, it was a really fun place. Really, really good. No doubt about that. Unfortunately, the game was not did not equal uh, the atmosphere and the venue on Sunday. But anyway, my point being, I didn't really see the Commanders-Giants game. I kept track of the score on my phone and all of that. I've watched the replay and the highlights and that sort of thing and have some impressions. But a guy who's been more focused on it is Scott Allen from the Washington Post, um, who has joined us several times after Commander games, and he's going to do so again for us at 4.30 this afternoon, about 12 or 13 minutes or so from now. So we'll talk with him and all that ails the commanders. Then at 5.30, we'll go in the opposite direction. David Teal from the Times-Dispatch is going to join us, and all-encompassing, David covering a little bit of everything in the Commonwealth, but we got to talk about Virginia's win over North Carolina. That's about as impressive as it gets, and I was able to get home from the Richmond game down in Greensboro at North Carolina A&T on Saturday and catch a good portion of Virginia's comeback monumental upset of 10th-ranked North Carolina. Uh, Really a feel-good moment for the Virginia Cavaliers. I I don't really care if you like Virginia or don't like Virginia, if you're a Hokie fan and you normally hate those uh, and all of that, but you've got to feel good for them. After everything they've been through, uh, a coach who's already embattled yet has had to deal with the tragedy of last year. Mike Hollins, who was involved in that in that whole tragic uh, situation, scores three touchdowns. They come back from 10 down. It's their first ever road win against a top 10 team. I don't know. I think there's just got to be a piece of everybody, uh, other than if you're truly a Carolina fan, who feels at least a little bit good for Virginia football. At least, if nothing else, for that moment in time you can go back to not liking them this week if you want caesar i know is out there chomping at the bit for his miami hurricanes to knock him off this week i get all of that anyway david teal will join us to talk about that acc basketball tip-off media day is tomorrow that's why you didn't hear matt joseph today he's on his way down to charlotte he's going to have all sorts of interviews and conversation from down in charlotte at acc basketball tip-off tomorrow so we'll talk with david i'm sure he'll be there as well a little bit about that coming up at 5 30 this afternoon 804-327-0888 gets you on the air. It's also our text line. We'll continue with more of the huddle in a moment on 1061 ESPN. This weekend, the Spiders play host to a CAA newbie, the Fighting Campbells of Campbell University. Our coverage begins Saturday afternoon at 3 here on your exclusive home for the Richmond Spiders, 1061 ESPN. You know, Bob. I don't know how much I trust the Ravens, but you didn't ask me, the guy who's had a hot take on Detroit all year, what I thought of them. <laughs> well, I saw them up close and personal. Um, I, and I will admit, AJ, not for 60 minutes either, because like many other people in attendance, we bolted with about 10 minutes to go in that game. Oh, no, no. Uh, so, so what's your thought on the, on the Lions now? Oh, Are they... Everybody had them being Super Bowl champions, whereas I thought, but they are who we thought they were, and we let them off the hook. I didn't. <laughs> nope. Uh, and there was no letting them off the hook Sunday. That game was over almost before we got into our seats. Um, but I believe it or not, 
I know Bruce is waiting. I'm going to get to him here in just a second. I had a really good Philly cheesesteak at M&T Bank Stadium. Baltimore knows their food, son. They do. That was a little sacrilegious, though, right, to take a Philly cheesesteak and have a good one at at Baltimore. But it was good, I must admit. Uh, good afternoon, Bruce, on the uh, opening night in the NBA. We knew Bruce would dial in. Hello, Bruce. Good afternoon, Bob. Yes, we have the opening of the association. Bob, I'm going to be short and to the point. I'm just going to give you my top four, and I'll glean what you say for them. Uh, in the East, we're going Celtics, Bucks, 76ers, Cavaliers. In the West, we're going Suns, Nuggets, Lakers, and OKC Thunder. I'll chew on that, Bruce, but I got to ask you a question, and if this goes another minute or so, I'll deal with it. You know, I'm reading everything in the Philly paper these days about the Phillies and the Eagles, and yet today I stumble across a headline that says the Knicks want Joel Embiid. How could that possibly happen? There's no way on God's green earth that the Sixers are giving up Joel Embiid to the Knicks. Is there? You would believe not, but that has been rumor mill for a while. And I think it's just a matter of what's gandered in the trade. How many number ones will New York get give up to get Embiid? So, and Embiid wants to be in a big market. I think Philly is the ideal market. What but, I read was uh, it, 48. It's, it's, it's oh, rumor. I read Fournier, Brunson, and Barrett is what they're trying to trade. It's rumored. So I'm looking at the Philly yeah. paper right now. That's and too they much. throw they throw out Julius Randle, RJ Barrett, Evan Fournier, Mitchell Robinson, and two uh, three of those four and two or three first round picks. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you can trade the league MVP to your rival 90 miles up the road and in your own division and conference. I, I just uh, – I don't know that that could ever possibly happen. And look, just because the Knicks won it, it takes two to tango, right? The other side needs to be involved too. I don't think the Sixers are doing that. Let, let's talk more about that, Bruce, in the days and weeks to come. We'll talk some NBA now that the regular season tips off tonight. Thank you, Bruce. Got a roll. We're going to talk Washington Commanders here in just a moment. Scott Allen from the Washington Post is going to join us. We'll recap the game against the Giants, as ugly as that was, and preview the game against uh, Philadelphia that's coming up Sunday at FedEx Field. Scott Allen, Washington Post, next on the Sports Huddle. Did you know that you can find the best radio station on your dial in HD? Well, you can. Catch us on your HD dial at 103.7 HD2. Just another place to find your home for sports in the capital city. ESPN Richmond. Jonathan McDeberry. Right at the bottom of the hour, 4.30 on the Sports Huddle, 106.1 ESPN here in the capital city. Welcome back to the show, and we welcome back to the program one of the guys we love to talk with, particularly post-Washington Commanders games. That's Scott Allen from the Washington Post. He's done this several times with us this year, and he does it again with us this afternoon. It feels like more often than not, it comes after a loss, Scott. There's not much we can do about that, but we're going to carve it up again this afternoon. Thanks for joining us. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, Bob. Thanks again for having me. And, and yeah, I, I 
not responsible for the product on the field, but uh, I appreciate you having me back anyway. Wait a minute. You're not responsible for one for 15 on third down? Come on, Scott. Take some ownership for this thing. How does that happen, Scott? How does an NFL team go one for 15 on third down? It's unbelievable. I thought two for 10 against the Falcons in that ugly win was bad. And then to follow it up with one for one for 15, um, I looking back at the stats in franchise history, they've gone, I think three games without converting a single first down, but they've never had as many as 14 opportunities um, and converted on only one of those as they did Sunday. It, I mean, in terms of why, I think again it was it was the pressure on Sam Howell. I mean, either the blitzes coming early and often on on first and second down, creating third and longs, or uh, a lot of third down blitzes from from the Giants as well that resulted in sacks. And that's uh, that's no way to go through life as a second year quarterback. No, I mean, how do they fix this? I know that's the million dollar question here. Yeah. But now, now you're combining one for fifteen to keep possession on third down and six quarterback sacks. That's just recipe for disaster, right? As you said, you'll get your quarterback yeah. killed that way. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's kind of hard to uh, evaluate Sam Howell and Eric Bieniemy independent of each other. Um, at least when I think about it this year, because you've got the enemy coming from a situation where he had the best quarterback in the game and Patrick Mahomes. And all of a sudden he's got a, essentially a rookie quarterback who started one game last year, second year in the league. Um, and he's tasked with, with coaching him up. And beyond that, he's, they've got the aforementioned dreadful offensive line to contend with. Um, so when I'm kind of looking game to game, I'm wondering, okay, how much of this is, Eric Bieniemy not putting Sam Howell in a position to succeed, and how much of it is the play calls are there, and you know Bieniemy's got a, a decent plan, and Howell just can't execute it either because he holds the ball too long or is making the wrong reads. Um, in terms of how to fix it, uh, I mean, I think the just the the armchair quarterback idea. I'm not a play caller, but it seems like you know screen passes have been successful in a few games this year. Um, you'd love to see them get the running game going. That's been kind of non-existent, especially the last four games. Um, quicker reads, shorter passes. And I think it falls on, on both Eric Bieniemy and Sam Howell to, to find a way to do that against the Eagles. Uh, I guess the positive is that one of Howell's best games of the year came against Philadelphia earlier this year. Ron Rivera was asked if Sam Howell is still his guy this week, and he kind of, sort of said yes, but didn't totally commit to that. Where do you think right. they're headed at quarterback, Scott? It was such a, a weird answer. Something mm-hmm. to the effect of, I'm committed to Sam Howell, but you can never predict the future. Like, <laughs> I mean, come on. I, I, think, um, I think they will stick – with him, obviously barring an injury, and if he he remains on pace for 97 sacks this year, he's going to get injured at some point, you would think. Um, but I think the smart move is to stick with him and try to, you know, if you're convinced that he's not the guy for the future through uh, seven games, then by all means put in Jacoby Brissett. I don't know how you can be convinced of that just yet. I think you try to let him work through it. Um have him and Eric Bieniemy try to game plan something that will not result him 
result in him getting sacked four times a, or more a game going forward. Uh, I just don't know how much there is to gain by putting Jacoby Brissett in there, um, whether that's this week or uh, somewhere down the line. Scott, how was the defense overall? And I know that sounds like a funny question, but it's only a 14-7 to game. They only gave up the two touches. It just seemed that, you know, Tyrod Taylor seemed, I don't know, a step ahead maybe, and Saquon Barkley seemed like they had a lot of chunk plays. They made some mistakes, the turnover, all of that. How do you think the defense actually did perform? I think, I mean, if you look at the the final stats, um, they performed fine. But Mm -hmm. kind of the M.O., of this defense, at least this year, has been just awful starts. And yeah, they, they played bad. They played a lot better in the second half against the Giants. But I mean, this was this was a game where you go in. All the talk all week was about how the Giants had, you know, signed one guy literally off the couch a week ago to play one tackle <laughs> position, and then they signed another guy from the Eagles practice squad to pay to play at the other tackle position. They've got a backup in Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. This was a game where, you know, it felt like the defense had to get right. They should have dominated from the start. And instead, they allowed a Giants team that hadn't scored an offensive touchdown since week three, a Giants team that hadn't scored an offensive touchdown in the first half all season, to score two. And like you said, it was chunk plays. This is not an explosive offense, even with Daniel Jones in there. And the Giants had six 20-yard-plus plays in, in the first half. Um, and, yeah, Washington forced a bunch of three-and-outs. They got that key turnover by Jerron Payne. that gave the offense one last chance in the second half. But it was too little too late. If, if they had dominated from the start, uh, maybe the outcome's different. Uh, you see it week to week. The focus just doesn't seem to be there um, from the opening kickoff for the defense. Catching up with Scott Allen from the Washington Post, breaking down uh, Washington Commanders against the Giants. We'll get to this week against the Eagles. Hey, hey break down the last play. Uh, you know, what'd you think on the pass to, to <clears throat> Jahan Dotson? I mean, a shade behind him maybe, but certainly a really catchable ball for for a guy who's yeah. who's in a sophomore slump, I guess, this year. Yeah, absolutely, and and Dotson acknowledged that that's a catch that he has to make. I mean, credit to Sam Howell for, you know, that very easily could have been the seventh sack of the game, and mm-hmm. that they would might not even have had that chance, but he, he did a nice job scrambling to his left. The throw's a little bit behind him, but again, Dotson, he, he is in a slump. I mean, he had one target last week against Atlanta, dropped what should have been a touchdown pass. His numbers across the board, I guess he's got more – Averaging more catches per game this year, but um, not a lot of yards this year. He's struggled with the drops. Um, I mean, he's made some nice plays. He had the the touchdown catch that that forced overtime on the final play of the game against the Eagles. But that that's one that you know he said he should have caught it. He took that drop pretty hard, and you know they, they got to hope that he he gets out of it because. Uh, Terry McLaurin needs some help in the, in the receiving game. Yeah. So now what, Scott? I mean, you, you mentioned it earlier. They actually played one of their better games of the year in the game at, at, at Philadelphia. I mean, uh, what do you expect this week in at FedEx Field against the Eagles? Yeah, I was talking to my editor after I filed my story from Sunday's game, and I said, you know, th- this team, they're going to go – and beat the Eagles next week, aren't they? Like, that would just be so <laughs> yeah. 
commanders watch the football team, whatever, under Ron Rivera. And then, you know, follow that up the following week by losing 40 to 10 against the Patriots or something. And, <laughs> and we're doing this dance again. Um, I think it'll be a close game, actually. I um, I think they, they match up well somehow against the Eagles. Uh, I think Sam Howell bounces back to an extent, but I don't think they actually pull out the win. Uh, the Eagles are, they seem to be clicking now. I mean, a little bit of a short week from them playing that Sunday night game against the Dolphins. That was a, quite the performance. Um, so I think as Washington has after these awful performances in the past, I think they, they find a way to, you know, maybe get people's hopes up a little bit, but ultimately fall a little bit short uh, on Sunday. You used a great phrase. I'll wrap it up with you. You hear what you just said, doing this dance again. How <laughs> How long is that music going to play for the commanders and this ownership group and this fan base? Yeah. I mean, I'm giving you a big picture, blank canvas here a little bit, Scott. Yeah, I, I mean, I think just looking at the NFC playoff picture, it feels like, you know, they're going to get into December with some outside chance that, you know, you make a run and you're right in it. I think, though, the feeling after Sunday's loss um, – you know, Ron Rivera was asked about not use, using his timeouts at the end of the first half to, to force a Giants punt. And he said, I think he said, well, we, at that point we felt like enough was enough. We just wanted to get in the locker room and talk about it. And I feel like the writing on the wall here is that enough is enough for, for Ron Rivera and, and Jack Del Rio. I, um, I don't think you, you necessarily get rid of Eric Bieniemy, um or start your search for a new quarterback immediately. But I think there will be some... Barring some unforeseen turnaround, there will be some major changes in the offseason. I don't think Josh Harris and the ownership group will make uh, a coaching change midseason, but uh, I think there will be some, some major changes for, for, to the front office, to the, the coaching staff um, come January. Yeah, and I think that's a really good point when you include it, the front office in there as well. It could start up top and trickle all the way down to the coaching staff um, for sure. Scott, as always, great observations on last week and look ahead to this week. And uh, we'll continue to plow along and keep doing this during the course of the season because we greatly appreciate your perspective. So thank you, Scott. All right. Thanks so much, Bob. Anytime. Scott Allen from the Washington Post covering uh, the Washington Commanders. And I I agree with him. Um, I don't think they do anything during the year unless it really goes sideways i i think if they absolutely have to make a move because it has gone so far sideways i think they would but i think their desire is to leave everybody in place for the remainder of the season but i've i've kind of been on record already as saying if and when the time comes and i think it's coming i don't think it's a no-brainer that eric Bieniemy is the next head coach. I, I think this ownership group who did not bring Eric Bieniemy in, and it's an offense that is not exactly setting the world on fire and it's all the defense's fault, it's not. Um, I, I think they would go with a clean slate. I, I just do. I don't think they hire, uh, obviously, Jack Del Rio. I don't think they hire Eric Bieniemy. Uh, I think they clean house. Or the only one thing I could see is if Eric Bieniemy wanted to stay and be the offensive coordinator moving forward with a new head coach, maybe. But even that, I think, is a long shot to happening. My gut feeling tells me if they're going to make a change, 
they're cleaning it all out, and they're starting from scratch. And who knows who they're bringing in? I, I haven't given that much thought at all. It could be a big name, you know, former coach. It could be an up and comer. Uh, it could be an offensive genius, quote unquote. I don't know. But my my opinion is, with new ownership in there, they didn't hire any of these people. They're going to bring their own their own gang in there when when we get to that point. Um, anyway, again, I don't think it's a, a no brainer that Eric Bieniemy is the next head coach of the Washington Commanders. And if they keep scoring seven points and giving up six sacks a game and going one for fifteen on third down, he's certainly not doing anything to bolster his resume. Your take is looking better and better. Yeah, how about that, right? I thought you were crazy. I thought that was the worst take you ever gave, and now it sounds really good. Why didn't you tell me that back then? I mean, I clowned you a little bit. I didn't call it the worst. (laughs) I mean, I called Jacoby Brissett take the worst take of all time. That's true. No, I'm just saying that, that, like, I think the biggest thing against him is the way this running game has done nothing, and these guys are all right. They are all right. Yeah, that's that's the best thing you said right there. They are all right, and they're not even showing that they're all right. What did they have, like 75 yards rushing against the Giants on Sunday? I mean, yeah. And I know uh, Dobson's doing bad, but I I like those other guys, and there's just no reason. Yeah, uh, that's what I mean. I I just think – I just think they start start from scratch. So I, I'm sticking with that. From a, it, it was a bad take. Now it's an okay take, according to you, my barometer, which is fine. Let's see what kind of take it is as we get towards no, the no. end. No, no, it's a, it's a great take, and you made it at the best time. We huh. were wrong. You were right. Not yet. Not yet. Let's see what let's see what happens moving forward. I mean, they're three and four. It's not they're not dead in the water necessarily. It feels that way. The sky is falling and all of that. You know, the Giants are still only two and five. Uh, now that's a bad loss. That it, you just it's an inexcusable loss, even on the road, for sure. But they're three and four, and if they should happen to play well Sunday and knock off Philly, you know. Things will settle down a little bit. Now, the Eagles are coming off one of their better performances of the year on Sunday night against the Dolphins. We'll get into that a little bit after the break as well. Um, But the commander stuff from Sunday, there's just some things there that just leave you shaking your head. And now there's talk about who are they going to sign, who are they not going to sign on defense. This thing is getting a little messy in the locker room, in the front office, and certainly with the fan base in D.C. Uh, quarter to five. Let's get a break in here. Come back on the other side. Talk some more football if you'd like or whatever else might be on your mind. 804-327-0888 Sports Huddle on a Tuesday afternoon on 1061 ESPN. Regular season long. Now it's time for the race to the fall classic. 1061 ESPN is your exclusive home for the MLB postseason in Richmond. We'll have Game 7 of the National League Championship Series tonight at 7.30. First pitch, 8.07 in uh, Philadelphia. They have released the schedule of games for the World Series, and they're all 8.03 first pitch. So I guess 7.30 will remain our airtime for all of them beginning Friday night in Texas. Hey, there is uh, college football tonight, in case you didn't know. Liberty is actually in action this evening. I've said this before. I am not a big fan of these Tuesday night games, but I did notice they've got Western Kentucky on the road tonight looking to keep their unbeaten season going. The Flames are 5-0 and 7-0 in Conference USA, 
and they're at Western Kentucky. They should. Uh, they're favored by four and a half, five points. Liberty is to get to eight and zero and six and zero in Conference USA. And then Thursday night we got Virginia Tech in action. I'm a little more okay with the Thursday night game than I am with a Tuesday or Wednesday night game. Um, the Hokies come in at three and four. Two and one in the ACC. Syracuse, um, its record is very deceiving. Four and three, but they played a lot of you know paper tigers or paper lions. We had this discussion once before, didn't we, AJ? <laughs> Which is it? Which is the cliche? Paper tigers, paper lions. It was lions. I think. Lions, right? I think so too. I think it was. And why also, not? After, after the way wrong, they played, but hasn't Liberty played like the last three or four Tuesdays? It seems like it, doesn't it? It seems like I, it's I their luck charm. Yes. It is, I guess. I know they were at home last week when they played. They're on the road on this one. It's on ESPNU, so they're getting some TV time. I just, I don't know. The Tuesday-Wednesday night things just, I I just don't like them. It's also Paper Tigers, my bad. Is it really? Yeah, I'm reading it now. I would have said Lions also on that. I know we've had that conversation before. We did, and I got it wrong last time, and I (laughs) thought I'd said Tigers, which is why I went Lions this time. (laughs) I think either one would work. And where did it come from? Where, where was that? Um... Undoubtedly China, but I'm looking. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, so Liberty Liberty goes tonight. Virginia Tech goes Thursday. I, I'm, I'm more okay with that. Uh, first of all, I think you get bigger name games, and you get it on the, the, the mothership on ESPN. So Syracuse and Virginia Tech is Thursday night. And I forget who we had on. Oh, it might have been Mike Burnup um, from the Hokie uh, Virginia Tech Sports Network, after their win last week, uh, you know, makes everybody feel better over Wake Forest. But they do have a path to, to a bowl game this year, even more so than Virginia. I mean, I know everybody's high on UVA right now. We should be off of the win over Carolina, but I still, you know, I still don't think they're they're going to get to six, that's for sure. But the Hokies with, with three wins, um, you know, as much as I hate to say, because they're going to beat my alma mater Thursday night, they should. That would get them to four. Even if they lose at Louisville, they get BC on the road, but that's a winnable game. That's five. NC State, who knows who's showing up for the Wolfpack, and it's at home. That could get them to six right there. And then they finish at UVA. I know it's a rivalry game. The Cavaliers are definitely getting better. Uh, They're going to have a little extra pep in their step now that they got the Carolina win. Who knows what they're going to do moving forward here. But I think there's a definite path for Virginia Tech to get to six or seven wins and maybe maybe get some kind of some kind of bowl game in there. I don't know. Maybe they can play JMU in a bowl game um, because you know the Dukes can still get to a bowl game if there aren't enough eligible teams. Um, they're in the second. Uh, I'm going to get to this. I'll do this after the break at the top of the hour because mine is a very unpopular opinion. This I know is. it is. What about I know JMU? Where you're you do. And I think all you guys are on the same page. You're all jumping on the JMU bandwagon with all these politicians and all these legislatures. Legislators who just keep their nose out of this thing. They don't even know what they're talking about. They're just jumping on this JMU bandwagon, and that's it. But, yes, all you guys are like, oh, the NCAA is terrible and it stinks, and JMU should be able to play in a bowl game because they're 7-0 and all yeah. of that. I know you are. And I'm going to give you the opposite one on that one. I'm going to be unpopular. I mean, the rule is the rule. The rule doesn't say, "Hey, if you're seven and zero, we're going to reconsider and let you go to a bowl game." It's not what, it's not what the rule says. You've sped before. You break the rules. 
I do. You should get punished when that happens if you get caught. But this is not a punishment. They didn't do anything wrong. These were just the guidelines to get them to the next level. We'll talk more about that on the other side of the break. Uh, ESPN Sports Center update coming up. 106.1 ESPN. Invigorating design craft.